Glory to God. One of the most exciting chapters in 1 Kings. This is just... Uh, if you can't have fun with 1 Kings chapter 18, I don't know what you can do. It is just... Uh, this is just a great, a great chapter. How many got to see Facebook? Put a little the review in the, the Facebook post up there. Corey was kind enough to interact on that a little bit, so I gave him another question that we're looking at. But there's another question we have at the end here we're going to get into that, um, I don't know, kind of blew my socks off a little bit. We'll get into to that one. Remember, remember, there were two questions we told you we were going to get into, mm-hmm. and we're going to get into them here tonight, and uh, we're going to throw out some other things. This chapter can really mess with your doctrine. I mean, it can really mess with you. And, and by the time we get finished with this, you're going to see it can really mess with you. You all right thinking right now, well, of course it can. I'm, you're looking at this, that. And, but no, when you get into this chapter, folks, this can really mess with your doctrine, especially if you have any religion in you at all. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it'll just, it'll, we'll, we'll see this. You're going to see a contrast of two different things, and both of them work. But what's funny is they won't work all the time. But both are extremely extremely scriptural. Elijah does two different things in, in both parts of the chapter, and they both work. But if you try it at home, it may not. <laughs> so we're going to see why. Because understand, God does not just work by these little, little he doesn't just flip a coin and say, oh, let's let it work today. There's reasons why it does. And we've got to understand what the reasons are. And it's real easy. The Word of God's real clear about this. And how many of y'all know about effective, fervent prayer? Mm-hmm. All right, we're gonna we're gonna show you some things about fervent prayer. <laughs> I, did, did anybody see the comment I gave Corey? No. Oh, too bad. That's just between you and me. Okay. All right. <laughs> I was gonna give it to him earlier, but they didn't see it. So, <clears throat> oh, I'll tell you what. That's because I I was looking at that all day. To man, look at that. Oh, that's fun. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. All right, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. And it came to pass after many days. Now, we knew it was going to be three years. After many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. The original word that he gave was, It will not rain except at my word. All right, but who's sending the rain? God is sending the rain. Why does he need Elijah to go? Doesn't he say, you go, I'm going to send the rain. Is it the will of God to send the rain? Whatever changed, whatever has gone on, either he said they suffered enough or whatever has changed, he has said, I will send rain on the earth. If God says, I will do something, does it happen? Usually, I mean, <laughs> usually it happens. He says, I will send rain on the earth. So keep this, this part in mind. God chooses his words very carefully. Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Is he sending rain on Samaria? So it's not just Samaria that's affected. It's the earth, where at least where all the people are, is affected. Understand this, folks. There are no SUVs in Elijah's days. Are there? Why is there global drought? We have no SUVs to put carbon dioxide into the whatever else they want to do. There is no global warming going on. I'm sure that it is hot, but there is no... Why is there no rain? 
because they said there wasn't going to be. I tell you what, we don't have time to get into it tonight. We already taken on too much. It is it is so fun to look at this because when you get into the word, you can understand this. Why does droughts? Why does judgment come upon the earth? It's a simple reason, and it's not because God wants to do it. I'll tell you, but we can't get into all that. See, every time we get into, I get to. I tell you, this is one of the best chapters. But don't worry, when we get done with this, you're going to have enough to chew on here. <laughs> you're not even going to be thinking about that one later on. We can always get into that in another one, maybe on Sunday. Even I was thinking about that. We might be able to dip into that a little bit on on Sunday, but um, on the Sunday series, I don't know about this Sunday. Anyway, let's go on. Uh, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Didn't just fear the Lord, feared the Lord greatly. Where is Obadiah? But in the land that serves idols. A false worship of Jehovah. And now has begun to kill the prophets and the people who believe in Jehovah. Under Ahab, it's the first time we've seen that. And Obadiah is not only in the land, he's in charge of the king's house. Can you see conflict? <laughs> if you're Obadiah, how many of you are saying, I want another job? <laughs> go someplace else, do something else, go down to the south. But Obadiah has stayed. Why do you think Obadiah has stayed? Well, one, he could be comfortable in the job. Or two, God could told him to stay. Now, God's got other people in there. Why is Elijah probably the most well-known and powerful of all the prophets to ever come to the land of Judah or Israel. And where is he? Buried in the north. A, a, an area that never served God after they split. You needed an Elijah up there, didn't you? Yeah. But um, Elijah might be thinking, and we know that he does get to this point, man, why am I doing this? <laughs> why am I doing this? We're going to see that in the next chapter. Anyway, he called Obadiah, who's in charge of his house. Verse 4, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 in a cave and had fed them with bread and water. Can you imagine sneaking out enough bread and water to feed 100 of the prophets, getting it out to the cave every day, and you are in charge of the king's house? Is this at great risk to you? Obviously, he feared the Lord greatly. But Obadiah says, we've got to find this guy, Elijah. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go this way, and you're going to go this way. And we're going to go find him. They have searched all over the, the country. They have searched all over the land. But they're desperate. And so Ahab says, I'm going this way, and you're going that way. Ahab himself, the king, is going in one direction. And Obadiah, obviously his most trusted servant, is going the other direction. They have left the palace. They're going to go out here and find him. So, uh, verse 5, And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water, and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we may not have to kill any livestock. This, is what's, this will show you Ahab. Ahab, we have people dying in the land because there's not enough food and there's not enough water. But he still has animals. And he's concerned about the animals. So he said, Let's go out there and let's find some, let's find some water. <laughs> All right. So people are dying, but we need to go find some water for my cattle so I don't have to kill them. People are starving, but he doesn't want to kill his, his animals because, you know, he wouldn't have them then. Can you see the, the, the kind of a scoundrel this guy is? All right. 
He said, Obadiah, oh, go in the land, all the springs, watered, all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we may not have to kill any livestock. And as we said, people are suffering and dying. Ahab is looking after the animals. So they divided the land. This is not far from today. How many times have we seen people, uh, what was it over in Africa, they, they wouldn't let them use the spray for the mosquitoes because it might harm the eggs of some birds? So what happens? People died. People died. I, and that's just, that's just one of so many things. Because what the Word of God says is they worship the Creator, or the creation instead of the Creator. That's not what we're supposed to be doing, folks. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now, see, if they find some, and they put it in the hands of anybody else, they might use it for other things. We want to use it for the house. So we get the guy who's in charge of the house and get Ahab. <laughs> We're going to go find the stuff. Oh, man. Now, as Abediah was, was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Now, there's a whole lot in what Obadiah says here. I want you to get all this. Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. <laughs> so he said, he doesn't react well to this. He says, so he, he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? <laughs> I, I don't know if Elijah's expecting this answer or, or whatever, but he's, he's basically here. He says, look, I'm going to let you be the hero. I didn't show up to Ahab. I showed up to you. You go tell master, your master that um, I'm here. Look at why he's afraid. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So a messenger went out to the nation, the nation afraid of Ahab. Remember, Omri brought them into some military might. Ahab continued to maintain that. They said, under threat of, of violence, is he there? No, no, he's not here. He's not here. And I want you to swear to me that you have looked all over. We swear to you we've looked all over. He's not here. And that's what they did to all the nations that were around. And so Obadiah knows this. And he says, if I go back to him and says, I found you, look at what he says. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to find you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. <laughs> Where does this come from? It comes from an assumption that a very, uh, uh, a very good man, a man who feared God, has made. Probably heard it from other people. That apparently... There are, there are folks that went around since they had searched everywhere for Elijah and no one could find him. They decided that what was happening was Elijah would be in one place and as we would go to search that place, God would move him and put him someplace else. And then when we would go and search that place, God would move him from there and put him someplace else. Because how else could Elijah escape being searched for by everyone in the world? Everyone in the known world is looking for Elijah and no one can find him. There's no way that can happen unless God is picking him up and moving him. What did God do? It's in two places. One place by the brook and the second place in the widow's home. 
And that's it. God does not move him around it at all. He was not be, he had to walk every place he went. <laughs> he had to get up and walk. But look at Obadiah. This is a religious man or a godly man. This is a man who fears God and he's got a completely corrupted idea of what's going on. But it's ingrained in him and it produces a fear. The word of the Lord comes to Elijah to a man of God and it produces fear in him. Should that happen? It shouldn't happen, should it? There's something wrong. Something is wrong in Denmark, as they say. This, this is not the way it should, should be going on. Where do we leave off at? Verse uh, 12. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Remember what we told you about before. Faith looks ahead. Works looks behind. Fear comes out of works, not out of faith. Look what I've done. In case you don't know who I am, I'm Obadiah. This is what I've done. This is my resume. Was it not reported to, to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. He will kill me. And Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and, they, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. If a word comes from God, from a teacher, a, a, a prophet, whoever it might be, someone who's, who's ministering the word, or if you are reading the word, and a word comes to you from what you are reading, and it produces fear, something is wrong. Something is either wrong with the person who spoke the word to you, there was non-truth in it, or something is wrong with your understanding of the truth and what is being said. In this case, there was nothing wrong with Elijah and the message that he delivered. There was something wrong. There was a wrong understanding in the mind of Obadiah. And that wrong understanding produced in him a fear. It was unfounded. It shouldn't be there. If you hear anything from the Word of God, how many have ever heard end times teaching? Does it ever produce fear? Have you ever heard some people teach this and they produce this fear? Something is wrong. It should, end times teaching should never produce fear. It should produce comfort. You should be glad. If people teach on hell, it should never produce fear. Not in you. If there is fear, something's wrong. Anytime that something from the Word comes to you and it produces fear, alarm bells should go off. Something is not right, either with the message that I'm hearing or me in receiving it. So as soon as you see fear, know something's wrong. Something's wrong. And get it fixed. Because it may just be with you. You just may have to make the adjustment. Obadiah made the adjustment, took the Word, and went on. Good for him. Made the adjustment quick. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. That's sort of a side note for the, this story here. I tell you, this is just a loaded chapter. There's just so much in here. Anyway, he, uh, I put this in your outline. He confuses a hard assignment with punishment. <laughs> Have we ever done that for God? Have you ever gotten a hard assignment and you think it's a punishment? <laughs> what did I ever do that I have to do this for God? <laughs> no, it's just a hard assignment. He needs someone who's good to be able to handle it. Don't, uh, don't, don't mistake that. Don't, don't make that. God will stretch us and not let you rest on your past victories. 
God's glad for your past victories. But let's go on to some new ones. Put this in your outline too. He was confusing the greatness of the obstacle with the greatness of his God. Don't ever do that. Never, never forget how great your God is. And one more, he confused the overall plan of God with his own interpretations. Or whether that was going across the nation, whatever, but his interpretation that Elijah was being moved from place to place since he had not been found. Tell you what, we've come up with some explanations for why things happen the way they do, and we believe them to be true. And because of those things in us, fear can be produced. And we need to get rid of it. This is important. I got this from some notes I had before. I've got it in my Bible in there. Make sure you write this down. Get this in a place where you can keep it in front of you as often as you can. Where the will of God is not known, fear can settle in. Where the will of God is not known, fear can settle in. If you're not sure what the will of God is for you, for your future, for what's going to happen in this situation, if you do not know, the door is open for fear to come in. That knowledge of the, of the will of God. Was it F.S. Bosworth who first, I think his first one I know have said it. Faith begins where the will of God is known. That begins there. It doesn't end there. Faith begins where the will of God is known. That's its beginning point. But where the will of God is not known, fear can settle in. And fear can paralyze. It'll neutralize you. It'll keep you from doing anything. So God, so Elijah shares the will of God with him. He accepts that as the will of God. And says, all right, if, God, if it's the will of God that you're going to be seen, let's go. All right, let's get into the meat of this here. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, same thing you're going to see today. Things have not changed. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. <laughs> so he puts it right there back at him. But I'll tell you what, people who accuse others of trouble, of wrongdoing, generally are guilty of the very thing they are accusing others of. Most times you will see that. How many times have we seen people in politics people in the news media accusing people of, of things in the area and we find out they were guilty of it. How many people came out just in this last year about how terrible it was that women are being paid less than men and we find out that Hillary's own office was paying women less than men, that the president's own office was paying women less than men, that the list went on, I think, uh, or was it Harvey, what's his name? Uh, the other senator. Uh, all these people out there, they're paying women less than men in their own office. And yet they're going across the country talking about how that's unfair. I, I don't understand it. Don't you check that out first? <laughs> but most of the time, the people who are making the biggest stink are the ones that are guilty. So d don't listen to them. Because people that are not guilty don't go around pointing fingers at people. How many people did Jesus point fingers at? Not too many. Now, the Pharisees, they got to the point where he finally said, you know what, you guys, are, <laughs> you guys are in bad shape. You need to quit it. But he didn't do that right off the bat. And when they brought the woman with the adultery, brought her before, what's he do? You. No, he doesn't do that. He says, where are your accusers? And neither do I accuse you. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan. Satan. So when people go around, they point fingers, who are they mimicking? <laughs> Isn't that right? They're not mimicking God because God doesn't sit there and point fingers. He wants to 
He wants grace and mercy. What's the devil want? Judgment. Mm. Anyway, let's keep going. We can still got to get into the meat of this. So, he says, no, you're the troubler, Ahab. But look at the things he done. I put this in your outline for you. We already went over But people with hard hearts point the finger more than they generate change. We need to generate some change. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Here's a little side note. How? He's been out of, out of uh, the country for three years now. How does he know how many people are at the table? And these are pretty specific numbers. The 400 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah that sit at Jezebel's table, bring them on over. Now, he may be working off of old numbers, but those are the numbers of people who showed up. So how does he know? Well, he may have had a conversation with Obadiah before Obadiah went, went on. I don't know. Maybe God just told him. There's this many. God could do that with Elijah. He's, he's done stuff like that. So whatever it is, he does not know this because he has seen them. He knows it for some, some other way. And so he specifically says, I want all those prophets that sit at Jezebel's table, I want them there. And I know how many there are. So don't try and bring out part of them. That's what he is saying to him. He says, I don't want you to miss any. I'm going to count them. I want the 450 prophets of Baal and I want the 400 prophets of Asherah. And I want you to bring them to the, to the mountain. And Ahab does it. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. We've run into this same attitude today. How many people, they want you to agree with them that sin's okay. They want to falter between two opinions. Look, if you don't believe in God, then don't mess with His Word. Just leave it alone. And just go on your own way. If we're wrong, what's the big deal? But if we're right, <laughs> you know, why falter between two opinions? Just decide. Either God's alive or God's not. If you decide that God's not alive, then live like it. If you decide that God is, then live like that. But make your own decision. Stop trying to make everybody else's. They, they were still doing this back then. Things don't change. <laughs> they don't change. They're still the same as they were. So how long will you falter between two opinions? Just pick. Pick a side. Let's go. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left of the prophets of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Is he alone? No. But he's alone on the mountain at the time. <laughs> Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves. Cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. Put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull. Lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. So we laid out the, the rules. These are the ground rules. Everybody agrees. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourself and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until uh, noon saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. Now I'm sure it's, Elijah's understanding is we need to start off with you guys because we need to see that you all fail. That needs to be evident that you fail 
at this. And then God will come in and then we'll, we'll clean things up. So that's why he, he did this way. And they were glad to go first. They really expected this to work. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. Elijah's just over there laughing and having a good old time and they're cutting themselves now. All right. He's thinking, I'm going to kill you all later on so I don't really care what you do yourself right now. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering and of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. No one paid attention. Mm. verse 30 then Elijah said to all the people come near to me in other words guys aren't you tired of this let's, let's go on and try something else so all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord he's calling the people over he has not repaired the altar of the Lord he wants them to see him repair the altar of the Lord he wants them to see that he has done nothing to this come on over here you watch me and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down and Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two saves of seed. And he put the wood on the, in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifices and on the wood. Now water is rare. All right? I've heard people talk about this. You know, they, they were so anxious for him to fail, they put, took good drinkable water. They did not. They're near seawater. They just grabbed some seawater and they poured that over because seawater will work just as well in what they're doing here as will regular water. These folks are all thirsty. If they had regular water, they're going to be drinking some of that. There are 450 prophets of Baal. There are 400 uh, of Asherah. There are all the other people that came on around. There's a good crowd there. If you bring up seawater, well, you're not going to be drinking that. Anyway, let's go on. But still, they had to bring it up. I mean, that's, that took some work. And I guess Elijah's not doing that. <laughs> then he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and also filled the, water, the, the trench with water. The reason that they're doing this is that uh, people who served idols very often had fire in the altar. And it would uh, work in such a way that the fire would just come up and come out, and it would just—it would seem like God sent the fire. And so what He's saying is, we're going to douse this thing. If there was any water, or if there was any fire in there, it's been put out. If I snuck any in as you watched me build this, it, we're going to put it out right now. So he's, he's going to make sure that they're—they're they're not thinking that. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the eating sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, "Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant." and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in a trench. This is not a normal fire. Normal fire does not burn stones. It does not burn water. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Well, you would too if a fire came down like that and just all of a sudden consumed everything. We're not talking that over an hour everything got burned up. We're talking about in a few moments, this fire consumed everything that was there. That will get your attention. We've seen fire from the Lord come down before. It does not take long to do what it's going to do. It comes quickly, it burns up, and it's finished. Um, 
Now when all the people saw, well, we saw that, uh, verse 40, then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the book uh, Kishon and executed them there. Now you have to assume, at least I kind of assumed that the prophets of Asherah are brought down there too. But we're mostly just talking about the prophets of Baal in the scripture. And we brought them on down. These folks that were on the mountain were people who worshipped Baal and they worshipped Asherah. And so these prophets were held in high regard to them and now they are ready to kill them. No loyalty. People who do not have the word of God to guide them have no real character. And they'll turn on you fast. And that's what these folks did. They're ready to kill them all. Uh, you know, to give them a couple of days to be back over there wishing for the prophets of Baal and, and all that sort of stuff. All right, here we go. Verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Anybody else hear anything? Mm-mm. So Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elijah went on top of Mount Carmel. And then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. Seven times he said, Go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up. Say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now he's already said there's a sound of rain. If there's a sound of rain, why do you need to pray? He's hearing rain. Why do you need to pray? So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Elijah went up on top of Mount Carmel, bowed down the ground, and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, We don't know what all he did, but this does not look like a, a normal posture of prayer for Elijah. He is, he, he is focused. He is intent. And he prays. And he turns to his servant, and says, Go up and, and, and take a look. See what you see. Ah, there's nothing in the sky. There's not a cloud out there. It is blue. There is nothing. All right. So he gets back down and he prays again. And he sends the servant. Go and see it again. No, nope, there's still nothing out there. Not a cloud. It's just blue. He goes on. He prays again. Go again. He goes again. He looks. Does this for seven times. Seven times. That's a lot. Look at James chapter 5, verse 16. In the previous chapter, we had a New Testament reference to what Elijah was doing. In uh, this chapter, we have a New Testament reference for what Elijah is doing. Verse 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I like that word avail. I'll tell you, I was having fun with this in the Greek, but we can't get into all of it here. But this, is, this one's real, real important to get. It's the Greek word that means be strong, able, forceful, and to prevail. It is generally translated in the Word of God, can, able, prevail, avail, stuff like this. It is talking about overcoming. Um, in fact, a second definition would be uh, might, prevail, or to be of strength. It is talking about, this word, when it says will avail much, is talking about an overcoming of something. Look at it, he goes on. After he talks about the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, he goes right into the story of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Did you notice him in the story praying earnestly that it would not rain? No. We didn't get that part, did we? 
But then he goes on. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. When we read the description of him praying again that it would rain, how many of you would think that the description he gave for to stop raining would have been better fitted to have it start raining? Seven times, head between the knees, praying, 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 and then sending the guy, coming back, sending the guy, coming back. But look what he says. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. To me, this would indicate that when he prayed for it to not rain, there was more effort involved than to get it to rain. Do you get that? I mean, maybe, maybe not, but he had to be at least praying as much for it to stop raining as it was to start raining. And we know he prayed seven times for that. But he said before he started praying, I hear the sound of rain. Go out there and get yourself something to drink and, and so forth. And he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. <laughs> seven times. Seven th- but this is the will of God. God said, go to Ahab. I'm going to send rain on the earth. So it's the will of God for it to happen. It was the will of God for it not to rain. This word, avail, talks about a battle. A prevailing. If the battle is not to get God to send the rain, then what is the battle? Is it with people to receive the rain? (laughs) People are ready to receive the rain. How many of y'all know that everybody in the world is ready for it to rain? We are ready to receive the rain. If they were caught out in the rain without without an umbrella, they would still say, let it rain. They are ready to receive the rain. God is ready to send the rain, but the word we use with Elijah is a word for prevailing. What does he have to prevail over? All right. If you are not prevailing over God, then what are you prevailing over? You've got to be prevailing over the enemy, right? has to be over the enemy. So, the same force that he had to pray to overcome to get it to stop raining is the same force he had to get to overcome to get it to start raining. If you are prevailing over the enemy, why does the enemy, first off, not want it to stop raining and then secondly, not want it to start? Is that not puzzling? Hmm. Well, should we pick this up next week? No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I told you, we got enough to chew on just in these, these things. We're, we did, I wasn't going to get discouraged or distracted and all the the other things. All right. Let's cloud the issue just a little bit more. We prayed seven times to get it to start raining. We prayed what the Word of God describes as earnestly to get it to stop raining. How many times did he pray for the fire? Once. Would you describe how he prayed for fire to come down from heaven as earnest I would not describe it as earnest at all. He just makes a simple statement. It's very similar to what Jesus says. When Jesus is in front of the tomb of Lazarus, what does he say? Father, I thank you that you hear me always. <laughs> he's very calm, very relaxed. And he only, he's really only praying that so that they understand the relationship between him and the Father. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. Is there any earnestness 
in the prayer of Jesus. When they're going to feed 5,000, is there any earnestness in the prayer of Jesus? No. There's no earnestness. There's no earnest in Elijah's prayer for fire to come down from heaven. But to get the rain to come from the clouds, there is earnestness. All right. Satan is called the God of this world. So would that indicate that Satan has a hand in the weather? And we always call acts of, of weather acts of God. But here we have it that in order for it to stop raining, he had to pray in a, in a manner that is described as overcoming. And then to get it to start raining, we had to pray in a manner that is described as overcoming. Though it is described as the will of God for both things to happen. So it can't be overcoming the will of God. There is an overcoming that goes on and the overcoming is over the enemy. Sometimes when you pray, you are overcoming the enemy. And sometimes when you pray calling down fire, the enemy is not involved. The enemy does not stop fire from heaven. But apparently he can stop rain from the sky. And what does our, pl- our place want to blame it on? SUVs. Uh-uh. Now, now, why would the enemy want it not to reign over Israel? Doesn't the enemy like it when Israel worships idols? He knows the Messiah is coming through Israel. And so all he cares about is wiping them out. He wants to wipe out Israel. We go to the book of Revelation, we find out how angry he is at Israel and how much he wants to get at them and get at God by getting at them. He he doesn't care how it goes on. Now, we can't get into the judge. I can't get into that part. All right, we'll get way too. Dis- we'll try and get into that part a little bit later on. But there, there's a reason why God doesn't want it to rain, and there's a reason why the devil wants to stop it from raining. I just we can't get into all that today. We'll. We'll try and get that in on a, on a Sunday. Don't let me forget. If I do forget, you can always come and remind me. I don't think I will. I, we're, 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 we'll look, I don't know if it'll be this Sunday, but it'll be some Sunday we can, we can get into that. But there's a reason for it. There's a reason, why the, the reason, there's a reason why Satan's mind changes and where he wants to stop rain and when he wants to start rain and all that. There's a reason why. Just can't get into it all, all that today. Let's, let's just focus on, on this part. So Elijah prays seven times. Now, look at this. What causes Elijah to stop praying? A cloud. How big of a cloud? Itty bitty tiny cloud. Little bitty tiny cloud. If you see a little bitty tiny cloud way off in the distance, how many of you are thinking, man, get ready, it's going to (laughs) rain? We are not thinking that. We're looking for dark clouds. We're looking for storm clouds. We had storm clouds all over here today. Nothing hit here. Nothing. Ding. I don't know, maybe a little bit of rain fell down on something, but no, no storm, no thunderstorms, nothing like that at all. Just a little tiny cloud. Is that significant? How many would think that if the Word of God spent that much time, seven times that he went, seven times they looked, and the one time he came back, he saw this little tiny cloud, and then it logs his reaction to it. How many think there might be a little bit of importance to what's going on? There's a reason for it. When you are involved in fervent prayer, you need to know when to
to stop. Because a lot of times people are involved in fervent prayer and they just keep going. Fervent prayer has a stopping place. And if you can't recognize when you are to stop, you won't be ready for what comes. So Elijah says, you need to get ready now. You need to leave because if you don't, the rain that is coming is going to be so intense, it will keep you from getting there. So you need to go now. Um, 1 Kings 18. Now what happened in the meantime? What meantime? From the time when he went from the top of Mount Carmel down to tell Elijah this message. In that time, is he praying? Is he, he's done praying, right? In the meantime, from the time that, hit, that little tiny cloud was spotted, now it happened in the meantime that the, the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He's outrunning him in the rain. And he went on ahead. But it went from that point of a little tiny cloud to the just black with clouds, rain, wind, the whole bit. Because Elijah realized once that cloud popped through, fervent prayer broke through. And now it's coming. Now it's coming. Because first off, it was the will of God. Secondly, there was a hindrance and he broke through it. Now, I'm going to jump ahead on the... Don't, don't let me forget to go backwards on here. But I'm going to jump ahead on there. I just put a little note on this. I couldn't fit it all in there. Fervent prayers in the Word of God. Fervent prayers in the Word of God. I, I put in here five of them beside this one. I give you five other ones that are fervent prayers. Not all prayers are fervent prayers. And if you fervently pray for everything, folks, you will have a defeated Christian life. This is not what you're supposed to be doing. There are not that many examples. There are a number of them. But there are more examples of other types of prayers than this one. Moses in intercession over the children of Israel. I'll tell you what, I wish we could get into each one. Remember when, when Moses said the plague has started? And immediately the, he sent Aaron ahead. And they began to intercede for Israel. And still people died. Remember when the snakes were dispersed and sent out? And how instantly he went into fervent prayer for them? Moses' intercession. Here's the second one. Daniel, for his people, once he realized that there were 70 weeks, he prayed for three weeks. When did God send the answer? Immediately. What happened in the meantime? There was resistance. The enemy came in to hinder the answer from getting to Daniel. But he continued to pray fervently. Jesus in the garden prayed fervently. Won't you describe that as fervent prayer? <laughs> didn't he have a stopping point? Mm -hmm. Didn't he come to a place where he stopped? He said the time for us is to go. Paul for the church. How many times does Paul talk about his fervent prayers for the church? The, the church for Peter. This is a fun one, the book of Acts. But they were all fervently praying for Peter. So when Peter is taken out of the prison and comes knocking at the door they didn't realize there was a stopping point. And they don't want to stop. <laughs> They're still going on. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't so tough. That wasn't such a good thing. You see, you need to realize that fervent prayers have a stopping point. So I, I put this in your outline. Do you know what to pray for fervently? And what to ask once for? 
Because there's a difference. There's a difference. When you are praying for something fervently, it is because there is a battle. Let me see where I put this. I have it in, uh, not sure if I gave it to you in yours, or if I just had it in mine. I just want to make sure that I'm not moving around with it too much. Okay, I don't think I have it in yours. I'll give it to you this way. Fervent prayers are useful, but only if there is resistance. Only if there is resistance. Either resistance on God's part or resistance from the enemy. Is there ever resistance on God's part? Abraham's intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah. Was God a little resistant to just sparing the city? Yeah, but he continued and continued and continued and continued until he got down to 10. There was resistance on, on, on God's part. There are times that God has been resistant to do things because it's time for judgment. And an intercessor has stood in and prepared. Remember Moses? Stand aside. I'm going to wipe him out right now. I'm going to make of you a great nation. You just get, get out of my way. Stand aside. And God says, no. Or Moses says, no. No, no. And he fervently prays for them until God is, is, is set back. So there, you're looking for spiritual resistance. Spiritual resistance, either on the part of God or the part of man. I'm sorry, on the part of the enemy. Now, don't get to confuse. Sometimes uh, resistance from man is spiritual. Go back to the story of Jesus on the, on the uh, sea. When he stood up on the boat, the waves were beating against the boat. But when Jesus stood up against the boat, he does not speak to the waves. He speaks to what? The wind. The wind. The wind. The wind is the force behind the waves. The spiritual representation in that is astounding. We can't get into that. There's so much to talk about that. Just have a, mm. We've gone into that story a number of times. All right. But the, the waves are the, are the physical beating the boat is taken. But the, there would be no waves if there was no wind. Go back to the story. The reason the storm came, the waves came, was because a wind came. A wind is spiritual in representation. The waves are the beating from the, from, the, from the people. Even Paul. Paul had a spiritual messenger. But how did, how did it come against him? Remember the thorn in the flesh? Messenger from Satan? But how was it manifested? Through people. Every city he went into, they, stirred, they were stirred up to riot. Why? Because there was a spiritual force a spiritual messenger that came that stirred up the people. Sometimes you are facing battles with people, but it's a spiritual force that is behind it, and you need to speak to that and battle that, and then the, the people will settle down. But if you just keep battling the people and not the force that is behind it, you won't have any effect on it. So you've got to recognize when is there a spiritual force and when are people just being nasty. <laughs> Get it? You've got to recognize that. And you can't. You can't recognize it. I told you this chapter is just loaded. If you can't have fun in this chapter, you just can't have fun in the Word of God. That's just... Anyway, Satan is the God of this world, which would put whether where. It's, it's in this world. But the fire from heaven has nothing to do with the enemy. He cannot stop the fire from heaven. That just comes down. That's why when he's praying for the fire to come down from heaven... And we would think that's a little more intense because this is out of the normal realm of things. But he understood this is coming from God. There's no, there's no resistance here. But on this, he understood there's resistance. 
Uh, so he prayed. And he, he's not praying to convince God. I'd, I'd like to get to heaven and say, what were you praying? <laughs> what were your words? But we don't have that. Anyway, fervent prayers are, uh, that are against the will of God or that replace faith will not be effective. I wish I could have put that in your outline for you, but I ran out of space. I probably should have taken something else out. Fervent prayers that are against the will of God or that replace faith will not be effective. The effective fervent prayer of a what? Righteous man avails much. The effective fervent prayer. You can have unaffected fervent prayers too. We've got a whole lot of Christians that are doing unaffected fervent prayers because they are praying fervently against something that the will of God has already been stated for. Can't do that. People are out there fervently praying, Oh God, heal me. That's an ineffective prayer. And you'll waste your time and it won't do you any good because healing does not deserve fervent prayer. That's not what it's about. All you're asking for right there is basically fire from heaven. Father God, I thank you that I receive your healing, that it comes into my body, and that I receive it. Glory to God. <laughs> you tell me one place in the Word of God, one place in the Word of God, in the ministry of Jesus, where he had a spiritual influence that stopped somebody from being healed. Okay, if we don't have, a word exa- if we don't have an example of it in the Word, then we're probably believing the wrong thing, aren't we? Some things the enemy cannot stand in the way of. And there's some things he can. And we need to know the difference between the two. Because we are fervently praying for those things he cannot stop. We are wasting our time. And we're wasting God's time. And we're getting ourselves set up to have our faith be torn down and not built up. That's why the enemy likes to have those things going on. Because it'll just mess with you. All right. Last thing in your outline here. I think it is. Do you know what to look for? To recognize your prayers have broken through. Do you know what to look for to recognize that your prayers have broken through? If you are fervently praying for something, what will tell you that there's been victory? Well, I don't know. Then stop praying. Find out what it is. You need to know what is it that, will, that I know that I will have a breakthrough. If you do not know what to set your eyes on for when the breakthrough comes, why are you fervently praying? What, what difference? Why would you do that? Daniel fervently prayed that he would know what was going on. How does he know when, it, when that, that comes? When he receives the answer. Moses fervently prayed for the children of Israel. How does he know when that comes? When God relents. When God says, all right, I won't do that. He can, and then he stops praying. You need to know, if I'm fervently praying for something, what is going to signal the end? Because you don't fervently pray for eternity. You fervently pray for something. What are you fervently praying for? When the, when the church got together to pray for Peter, was there not a spiritual force behind locking Peter up? Yeah, boy, I tell you, you can spend some time on that. But was there not was the devil not coming against the church and trying to pick off the leaders and stirring up men to come against the leaders that were there? And so when they fervently prayed, that's what they were praying against. And God came down and shook the whole place. Got him out. Fervent prayers. Make sure that you... you did I get to that question that I put up there? 
Do you, do you remember? I'm trying to think of what I, what I, which one I put up there for. Make sure I got to that question. I don't want to get out of liberty to go before that. Yeah, does a fervent prayer ever not work? Okay, good. We, we already hit that. Fervent prayers will not work if you pray against the will of God. It will not work for that. It also will not re- work if you replace faith with that. There's sometimes you just need to believe God and walk away and just believe that it's going to happen. You need to do that and not be fervently praying. The devil has gotten a whole lot of Christians into fervent prayer and they're caught up in doubt and unbelief but their religion won't let them let it go. And he's got them trapped. That's not a good place to be, folks. Elijah understands. In the same chapter, he prays one time, one time, very relaxed, let fire come down, burn it up. He does this again too. Remember when the people come to try and, get and capture him and bring him back? What's he do? If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and burn you up. <laughs> Burns them all up. Another 50 come. If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and burn you up. Fire comes down. There's no, there's no fervent prayer on his behalf. He just says, let fire come down and burn you up. That's it. Never is there fervent prayer for fire to come down from heaven but for rain to come from the sky and for rain to stop. Yes, fervent prayer because there is a spiritual battle. So you need to first off identify, is there a spiritual battle involved? And don't think you are so high and mighty that you deserve a spiritual battle for everything that you're going through. Because more than likely, you're not even on the devil's radar. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) It does feel like that sometimes, doesn't it? Satan is, is, is much more concerned on much bigger issues. You've got to understand the schemes of the enemy. The schemes of the enemy. He's out to try and wipe out nations and pull groups of people into judgment. Not some of the things that we try and blame him for. If there's a spiritual force behind it, there's a fervent prayer that can go on. But fervent prayer has an end. You need to identify it. And when you hit that end, you need to stop because otherwise you are trying to access the power of God through nothing more than religion. It won't do you any good. I love this. I love this story. Seven times he goes, he looks, he sees that little tiny cloud. That's it. That's it. We got it. We broke through. It's coming. Now watch out because it's broken through. This is the will of God and it's coming. It's coming. We better, we got to move now. We got to move now. And he moves. And he goes. Once you break through, folks, you need to get ready for what's going to come next. Once you have that breakthrough, you've got to get ready for what's going to come next. Don't be sitting down there still fervently praying. <laughs> it's coming. It's, it's coming. There's reasons why sometimes you pray seven times and sometimes you pray once. But he knew what the will of God was. Knowing the will of God was not his problem. But he also knew the will of the enemy. And he knew that we got to overcome this. Father, we thank you for the examples you give us in great people of faith in the Word of God. Tonight we looked at Elijah. We saw such a credible teaching on so many things that help us in our life. Father, we need to get to ourselves to that place where we understand that calling down fire from heaven, calling a dead man out of a coffin, is no big deal. But there are times when we engage the enemy. And we need to be ready to prevail and ready to battle. Thank you, Father, that you help us 
and to get us ready for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.